please pick up where you left off after the service. We'd love for you all to do that. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at Providence Road. We're so glad that you've chosen to join us this morning, especially if you're guests with us. I want to say again, welcome. Uh, we're honored that you would choose to spend your Sunday morning with us. We're continuing on in the book of 1 Corinthians in our series. We have about five weeks left. Um, so really through the end of this month, we'll be going through um, 1 Corinthians. And today we're going to be in the middle of chapter 14. If you want to follow along in a Bible that's under your a chair, every other chair should have a Bible underneath it. It's page 559 in that Bible. The, the verses will be on the screen once we start reading. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take that home with you. We, want, uh, we feel, feel like everybody should have a Bible in their house, so that's our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible, please take the one that's under a seat, the seat under you or the seat next to you. Um, yeah, take it home. Uh, let me start reading here, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump in. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then, brothers, and that's brothers or sisters, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you could all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to, pro to the prophets. <clears throat> For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should in submission, as the law also says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Y'all, take a deep breath. We're going to get there, and we're going to explain it, okay? Just breathe. Well, it's, it, there, there's a lot there, okay? <clears throat> 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for your word. I pray in this moment that you would humble us, that you would cause us to see that this is your revelation of yourself to us. So as we approach it, I pray we would approach it with a degree of openness, with a degree of humility, and a desire to want to understand more about you, understand more about you and your character and what you want to communicate to us today. And I pray through that you would change our minds, you would change our hearts, and you would change the way we live when we leave this place. And we love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Um, uh, Elaine DeBotton says this about order, this idea of order. <clears throat> order contributes to the appeal, this should be, uh, order contributes 
to the appeal of almost all substantial works of architecture. So fundamental is this quality, in fact, that it is written into even the most modest of projects at their very inception. And careful diagrams of electricity circuits and pipework and elevations and plans, documents of beauty in which every cable and door frame has been measured and in which Though one may fail to grasp the exact meaning of certain symbols and numbers, he or she may nonetheless sense and delight in the overwhelming presence of precision and intent. Order is the means by which one makes sense of life. And the, the point of that quote there is to really show us, and I think if we really think about this, we get it, that order is a part of the world. It's woven into the fabric of everything in our lives, in our worlds, you see this in Genesis 1 and 2, God created things in order. There was, a, there was an intention, there was a purpose behind why and how he created things. Um, we see this as we study the human body. There's this intricate order and things make sense. Um, we see this in, in the universe as we study the, the solar system and how the earth rotates and how the earth relates to other planets and the moon and the sun. Everything in our, in our, in our world has a degree of order to it. And I think we should, we, we kind of understand that, and I think we, we get that. Um, but as it relates to the church, there becomes, and really our faith, there's some tension when it comes to order. And that's really what Paul is going to be addressing today. Stephen Um, in his commentary on the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, talks about this idea that we, we all desire order to some degree, but we approach it differently. He says some of us um, pursue freedom or maybe you could say spontaneity, just for the sake of freedom. Like, we don't want to be tied down, so we're going to pursue freedom as an end of itself, which things can become chaotic this way. It could even lead to, to anarchy, right? If it's just freedom and that's it. On the flip side, though, um, says, um, you can have order and go after order, value order, simply for the sake of order just so things can be in order, just so things can be kind of in in an orderly way and maybe things are kind of controlled. This can be oppressive. This can lead to tyranny, um, says. The balance between these two things is having order and freedom together. And he would say it this way. He says, order for the sake of freedom is liberating or leads to liberty. So if we, we have order and we focus on order so that it will lead to freedom, that's the sweet spot. That's what really the, the scriptures are all about. That's what our faith is all about. And that's really the tension Paul is trying to navigate in this passage. And we as individuals, if we think of that on that spectrum of, of order and freedom, just as we live our, our lives, some of us probably lean more towards the order. You want things in order. You want to know what's coming. You want things kind of controlled. Others of you may lean towards the freedom. You don't want to be boxed in. You don't want to be tied down. Um, you want spontaneity all the time, right? We also see this in churches and streams of, of churches, right? Some groups of churches and churches lean more towards the order in church. They want things put together. They want things to make sense. And then on the other side, you have groups of churches and streams of our faith that uh, really lean more on spontaneity and want the spirit to really be able to move and don't want uh, constraints on their faith. So you even see this playing out at the church level. Now, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I, I would, I would uh, as we talk through this, I would want you to see that this is kind of the beauty of our faith. It's really hard to find something in this world, the world that holds order and freedom together uh, like our faith does. 
It's like, it's like science and art coming together. It's like a, a, a symphony and jazz coming together. And our faith hold those, holds those intention so beautifully. And so I think this is an attractive thing about our faith. And Paul, um, throughout this, this, uh, this, this uh, kind of teaching the last couple of chapters on spiritual gifts, he's really leaned more on the spontaneity. He's really encouraged the gifts. He said, go after them, earnestly seek them. We should, do, we should let all the gifts go so we, the church can be built up. Today, he's going to lean more on the side of order. And here's what he's going to say. This is the main point of the passage. He says, he's going to say, when things are done in order, in a gathering, in a church gathering, the gifts can be used appropriately, and the body would be built up, and the gospel will be clearly seen. I want to say that again. When things are done in order, in a church gathering, the gifts can be used appropriately, the body would be built up, and the gospel can be clearly seen. And as we go through this passage, we're going to see, first, Paul remind us to use our gifts. Again, he's always reminding us that. Second thing we're going to see is how to do this in an orderly way. And he's going to look at uh, the words of prophecy in tongues, once again, as, as illustrations of this. And then third, he's going to show, um, and we'll see this in the, in the beginning of chapter 15, that when things are done in an orderly way, it actually magnifies the gospel. It clarifies the gospel, and that is a really good thing. So let's jump in. This first verse, 1 Corinthians 14, 26. And again, Paul, brilliantly in a clear way, he always ties what he said before to what he's about to say. He's going to shift gears a little bit today, but he's going to kind of anchor us in what he's already taught us in the previous verses, what we looked at last week. He says, what then, brothers? And that can be brothers and sisters there. What then, brothers and sisters? When you come together, so that's the context, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. And then he said this a lot, but let all things be done for building up, encouraging, building the church up. So first thing we need to see about this verse is when you come together. Again, we can't forget context, 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 okay? We cannot pull verses out of this passage and try to study them. They need to be kept in their context. We're going to see that um, show up even more importantly a bit later, okay? So he says, when you come together, so this is a gathering of believers, okay? A, a formal gathering of the church. I think, I think this could be on Sunday mornings, but I, some of this, I think, relates also to a, a missional community environment or a small group environment as well. So the first thing we're going to see from this verse is he's saying, bring, all of you bring these things together, right? When you come together, each one has, and then he lists these things that people could have as they come into the church, something to participate with, something to give to the worship environment. And I think the, the, uh, the, the, the thing to, for us to learn about this, even in our context, is to once again know your gifts, know what you're good at, know what God through his spirit has gifted you with um, in your faith. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have at least one gift. We've seen that the last several chapters, you have at least one gift. If it's a gift of encouragement, you should come ready on a Sunday morning or before you go to your missional committee and know, okay, I, this is how God has wired me. He's given me this gift of encouragement. How can I use that encouragement? We don't always feel like using our gifts, but there's a place when we come together, we have to kind of ramp up and say, okay, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be prepared to use my gift. So on Sunday morning, you could just be, if you have the gift of encouragement, you could just be kind of scoping the room out and thinking, who can I encourage this morning? 
Because again, God, in, in a unique way, the Spirit uses you and your gift of encouragement to build up another person when you talk to that other person. So why not come prepared in this environment to encourage people? Maybe it's the gift of administration. Gift of administration, the, you, you folks tend to see, uh, kind of see big, big, uh, see details and see what's missing. And you maybe come in on a Sunday morning and see all the little details that maybe could be done better. So maybe you come in saying, how can I help? Who needs help this morning? Who's a little, uh, where, where are there gaps in, in, all, in, in, uh, in, in the serve team this morning? How can I help? Okay, that may be um, how you administratively gifted people um, can uh, pitch in on Sunday morning. Hospitality, right? Those are the gift of hospitality. You have the unique ability to make people feel um, comfortable or welcome in whatever environment they're in if you're in there with them. So that could be on a Sunday morning, could be in a home for your missional community. So you need to be prepared. How can I really allow the Spirit to use this gift of hospitality this morning or this evening, whatever the context is? So we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. We shouldn't, uh, to use kind of an athletic term, we shouldn't come into this place on Sunday morning flat-footed, right? We should come in ready to go, ready to participate, because we don't know what the Spirit wants to do among us on that given day. Now, I want to say there are a few things that are going to push back against us uh, living this out. These are consumerism and individualism, right? Consumerism, this idea that and we're, we're, it's, it's, the, it's, the, uh, it's the water we swim in, right? It's the air we breathe in our world, right? And we have to fight bringing that into the church, coming to church and saying, what can the church do for me? What can I consume for the church today? And individualism is this idea that it's really about you and God. So when you come in this place, I mean, you, you could have an empty room and your experience would not change because this Sunday morning is primarily about you and God, not about the corporate body of believers in this room that are worshiping and, and, and listening to the word together. Okay? So we need to push back on these ideas of consumerism and individualism. Because here's what will happen. If you're, if you're making church about um, you consuming it, you are going to get bored. You're going to be in church for a little while maybe, and then you're going to get bored because we can't keep up with the culture to entertain you. Like, if you want to come here and consume, eventually you're going to get bored because we're not entertaining you enough. We can't compete with the world when it comes to just get keeping your attention. We can't do that. And same with individualism. If this is about you and God, we're going to do something you don't like. We're going to do something you don't agree with, and you're going to throw up your hands and say, you know what, I, this is getting in my way of my personal relationship with God, therefore I need to leave. Um, and, and also, it's gonna, church is going to feel like something you have to continue to jam into your schedule. It's like another thing. Oh, we got to do missional community, or we got to go on Sunday morning when we really would just like to sleep in. And if that's, your, if that's the feelings you have about church life, you're probably being a consumer or seeing this as a merely individualistic pursuit. Instead of saying, what's my gift? How can I participate? What's my purpose in this body of believers? And this brings life, this brings energy, this brings purpose. Because if you know on a Sunday morning, hey, God has uniquely wired me to bless and build up people from, from, uh, from 10 to 1130 or whatever it is, then you're going to get out of bed. You're going to so have some incentive to come. You're going to have some life coming behind your gifts. So again, use your gifts. 
Now, that's verse 26. I want to book in this. The, the, the last verse of the chapter is verse 40. Okay, And he says, But all things should be done decently, which just means properly, and in order. So that's where he's going. Okay, So he starts off in verse 26. In verse 40, he's eventually going to say, all things should be done decently and in order. That's where he's going. So now we're going to look at some examples he gives. Um, it's specifically relating to prophecy and tongues. But before, when we think about order, I want you not to think of uh, order in the sense of sequential order. Like there's, there's certain things that happen first and there's other things that happen. That's, that's not what he's saying. And when he says order, he's talking about lack of chaos. He's talking about intentionality. Okay, so when you hear order today, think intentionality. Think um, absence of chaos. Okay, so now let's look at tongues. He's going to start in verse 27 with tongues. If any speak in a tongue, let there only be two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and God. Okay, first thing to notice here in verse 28 we see um, Paul for the first time say, keep silent. Okay, he's going to say this three times in this passage. But he tells them here to keep silent because for the sake of order. Now, again, context. So we've got to pull ourselves out of a lot of the churches we've been in. Because in, in this, um, this, this age of church history, um, the largest church, like uh, the largest church you could find back then in this time was about 150 people in one place, primarily because they didn't have, any, they didn't have buildings, right? They didn't, have, they didn't build buildings big enough to hold 2,000, 4,000, 10,000 people, right? They had to make do with what they had. So really, at one time, usually a gathering was no more than 150 people. And that was considered like mega church back then. So most churches are probably well under that in number. So what I'm, what I'm getting at here is people knew each other well. People, people knew each other's gifts, People knew each other's backgrounds for sure more than we do, even in a church our size. It's just kind of above that 150 to 200 number, okay? Um, and so when, when somebody says, it, it makes sure that, when he says, make sure that there's an interpreter before you speak in tongues, it would have been pretty well known who, who had the gift of tongues and who actually was able to interpret the tongues. So when they say, hey, make sure there's an interpreter, so there's not just gibberish when you're, when you're, when you're speaking in tongues. Because remember last week he said, if there's no, there's no one to interpret your tongue, it's just gibberish, and it's not helping anybody. It's actually confusing, and it could drive people away that don't understand. So before you do it, make sure there's an interpreter there. And he even says earlier, earlier on that he prefers prophecy to tongues in a public setting um, because of this, right? Because there may not be an interpreter. But he doesn't prevent them from, doing, from, from speaking in tongues. He's just saying, hey, if you're going to do it, do it in order, right? He says, only, only, only a few, one at a time, not all speaking at once. And, and again, he's thinking of, hey, two or three. So he's thinking of order here, even at the length of a service. He doesn't want the whole service to be filled with just people speaking in tongues. So saying two or three and always one at a time and making sure there's an interpreter. Again, there's clear directions here Paul gives them in how to use this gift. Now let's look at prophecy, verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. There it is again, be silent, okay? So he tells another group of people to be silent for the sake of chaos, for the sake of chaos and to keep things in order, 
Okay, so here's what's going on here. And when, when you have, we talked about this last week. By the way, if you weren't here last week, didn't listen to the sermon, some of this is going to feel a little bit forward. Uh, so after today, if you really want to dig in more, you need to go back and listen to last week's sermon because I spell out more what these gifts are and what they mean. But in prophecy, um, you share something that should be an encouragement to someone else or at least something that, that kind of resonates with them uniquely from the Holy Spirit to their spirit that they have inside of them, okay? This is prophecy. And so um, he's saying, let her two, two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said, okay? So no more than two or three at a time and then stop and let them weigh the words of prophecy because here, here it is, we mentioned last week. You test all prophetic words with Scripture. If it doesn't line up with Scripture, you throw that out. Okay, Prophecy will never contradict Scripture. It's also in, the, in, in, in community. And so the community is also testing the words of prophecy well. See, there are checks and balances when it comes to using the gift of prophecy in a gathering. And he says, hey, if you speak something to someone, like, and, and it's intended for a specific person, be quiet and let them think about it. Let them dwell on it. Let them, let them maybe pray about what you just said to them if that word is for them. It's not for you to, to show off how awesome your gift of prophecy is. It's you say what you need to say, and then you be silent to allow the other person to think about it. And think about, is that, is that for them? Does it make sense? Is that something that their spirit's telling them that resonates with them? Okay, there's space here that Paul wants them to give one another as they do this. So he says in verse 31, For you can all prophesy one by one, one at a time, so that all may learn and be encouraged. Okay, and again, order. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Okay, so he's saying here that prophecy, when, you're, when you have a word from the Lord, when you have a prophetic word, you're not, you're not in an ecstatic state. You're not, in a, in a, um, in a, uh, you're not being overwhelmed by the Spirit when you're speaking gifts of prophecy. Like You're fully aware of what's going on. You have self-control. So he's saying here that the, 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 the gift of prophecy is subject to the one that actually has the gift. So there, it should always be done in a controlled manner, and it shouldn't be ever uh, out of control or ecstatic. It should be done in a very controlled manner. I and mean, he says, God is a God of confusion, but not of peace. That, that, that verse, you hear that verse a lot in different ways, but that is in the context of talking about the gift of prophecy, okay? Um, there's self-control within this gift. Now, 34, here we go. The women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should in, in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Okay? Now, once again, context matters. Remember, this is the first context is in, in, the, in a gathering of believers, right? Church gathering. The second context is when there are gifts of prophecy in tongues happening. That's the second, more immediate context okay so again those are the contexts right um, and again he's already told both men and women twice to be silent in other places again that's why i highlighted those two be silent so okay, this is the third be silent in the passage okay he's not singling out women in this whole context when it comes to this command to be silent he's told others to be silent as well for the sake of order okay now before we get into maybe what this means, I just want to highlight that Scripture is pro-woman. The Bible's pro-woman. 
And here's some examples, right? There's more, but here's a few examples. You have Priscilla, right? She's one of the first missionaries in the church, risked her life for the sake of the Apostle Paul. She was a great partner uh, with him in um, his ministry. Um, she was very, very spiritually mature, had a very strong gift of faith, and she, was, she had leadership skills in the early church. You have Phoebe, who was a trusted co-laborer with Paul. And Paul trusted Phoebe so much that he was the one that gave her the, the letter to the Romans and told her to deliver this letter to the church in Rome. Arguably his most important theological work, he gives it to Phoebe and says, make sure this is delivered, and she delivers it. You have um, Deborah, right? One of the, one of the most uh, important figures in the Old Testament, one of the greatest judges in the book of Judges. She was full of wisdom. She was full of courage. She heard God's voice and shared it with others. She was, again, very, very important in the life of God's people. You have all the one another gifts the New Testament calls us to live out. Those are all gender neutral. And men or women can use those gifts. And really the most important uh, uh, verse and context for this, this passage and understanding it is just three chapters ago. In 1 Corinthians 11, when he's talking about that kind of weird case of head coverings that we preached on, um, he's basically assuming that there is going to be women who have the gift of prophecy who are going to be speaking words of prophecy in the public gathering. He says, when you prophecy, right? There's some expectation that women are going to be doing this, okay? So all of that evidence is there, and we come into this passage. Now, Real quick, there's, there's one textual criticism concern here, meaning um, the, the, in the original manuscripts, how legitimate were they? So original manuscripts, um, and then if you really dig into this passage and study this, you're going to come across this, so I, that's why I'm addressing it, okay? This is a little nerdy, but um, this was originally written in Greek, and in the original manuscripts, this passage is in there. These verses are in there. Now, they're in there in, in some of the manuscripts a strange way. It's almost like... Paul went back later and added verses um, 34 and 35, right? It's almost like, the, it's like a, in the margin, he kind of writes these verses. But the original manuscripts have these verses. All of them do. But the way they're written in those original manuscripts has given um, scholars pause and it's just kind of unique for this passage, okay? A lot of people, again, don't know, was this original? Was this not? Um, in the sense of, was it original in Paul's mind? It's like when you're writing a letter, uh, uh, like with a pen, right? And you get to the end, you're like, oh, yeah, I, wanna, I need to go back and I write that. And you kind of put an arrow in there. And that's kind of what scholars think happened here with verses 34 and 35, okay? So that's, that's part of the debate here. Now, what does Paul mean? What does Paul mean? Now, this passage has been uh, ripped out of its context and used for a lot of abuse, okay? So, again, you cannot pull this out of the context that's actually happening here. So what is Paul trying to get at? Well, there, I think reading a lot on this from scholars and people way smarter than me, um, there's probably three choices. None of them are great. None of them are clear. But I just want to give you these three choices. Um, number one, there's a certain group in, in, in Corinth, a certain group of women in the church in Corinth that are known to cause trouble, known to be really loud, known to be disruptive in uh, the worship context. That could be as simple as that. So when Paul says this, everyone reading this letter understands who Paul's talking about. First choice. Second choice, um, 
this is um, that th- when you interpret a word of pro- prophecy, it has some authority to it. Because it, it is from God in a sense, right? At least that's what the, the idea is, to try to understand what God is saying through a person. And so, um, because it's authoritative, interpretation of prophetic words should be done by elders. In the sense of kind of the authority that goes with preaching, also kind of goes with the authority of interpreting the words of prophecy. Again, an option, uh, maybe, maybe that's true. The last one, though, this is the one that I think most people would probably say um, is the correct option. Uh, and it makes, it makes sense, okay? Um, in this kind of context, women, especially in a religious environment, did not have a lot of rights, right? Women couldn't come into most religious, not just the Jewish, not just Jewish, not any religious environment. Women were kind of second class. It was the men who did most of the talking. So from the appearances of unbelievers coming into the church, that was already a stumbling block, the women being, uh, speaking words of prophecy and, and being up front and doing these things, which was happening in this church. Um, so what Paul's trying to get at is basically saying don't debate an interpretation of prophecy or tongues in public. So a woman shouldn't debate a man in public um, on what a specific word of prophecy or tongue says because already that's going against what the culture teaches. And if a woman's trying to kind of overtake a man in, in an argument, that could look bad on the unbelievers who are there watching. It could be a stumbling block, right? Um, and that's where maybe they say, go home later and talk to your husband about it. More than likely, if this is true, it would have been women who are debating men who aren't their husbands. So when it's, it's saying, hey, go home and y'all talk about it later. Don't have the argument there. Go argue with your husband about it later at home. Don't have that argument here. Now, again, not any good options. It's still very unclear. You read any commenta- commentary about this passage, even the commentators and scholars start falling all over themselves. They don't know what to do with it, right? So those are the best ones I'm giving to you. Again, applying this to our context, there's not a lot to apply here, right? We've had... Uh, multiple women speak from the stage today, okay? It is not just a general, hey, women should be silent in church. We don't, that, that, we don't see that in the scriptures. We don't think that's what the scriptures teach, okay? Again, if you, want, if you have more questions later, I'm open for questions. I just, I, I probably don't have any answers based off of, you know, any further than what I've given you today with this particular passage, okay? Again, it's not talking about gender roles. It's talking about order in the context of worship and with the context of prophecy in tongues. Very, very narrow context here we're dealing with. Okay, verse 36, let's keep going. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Kind of a rhetorical, uh, Paul's kind of being a smart aleck here, right? Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? Like, are you so smart? Verse 37, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. So Paul gets that he's writing scripture, like he has heard from the Lord. He is, he is, he has a, he's a special, unique messenger from God, and that he's an apostle, and he is saying things that have a great deal of authority. So again, he's, he's kind of bucking up here saying, hey, what I am saying is a command of God. Listen to what I have to say. I mean, you know, wrestle with it, fight with it, but at the end of the day, this is the authority from God. And this applies to our life, right? The, the, the Bible is called, a, uh, in the Bible, the Bible is called a sword, right? Um, and there's a reason for that. It, it does something to us on the inside when we read it. There's a problem if you never disagree with anything in the Bible. There's a problem with that. 
There's a problem if you sit down and read the scripture and you never have any issues with it. Or you're, or you're maybe just reading the things and, are, and believing the things that maybe you want to believe from the scripture. That is a problem. Okay, we, need to, we need to approach the Bible with a measure of humility and saying, this, these are your words, God. I want to learn. I want to be open. I want, I want the Bible to read me. I want the Bible to, to conflict me. I want the Bible to convict me, right? And this is how we should approach the Scripture, right? And this is just good humility, good hermeneutics, understanding of the Scriptures. And so Paul's reminding us there the importance of seeing God's Word as the ultimate authority, not picking and choosing based off of what I experience or what I want to believe or what somebody in, kind of in the world is telling me. No, this is the authoritative Word of God, and it, it should read us, us not say, I'm going to pick and choose, and I'm going to decide what I want to believe in the God's word based off of culture or experience or whichever way the wind's blowing right now. This is God's word. Verse 39, so my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Kind of the summary statement there on these two gifts, and then in verse 40, once again, he says, but all things should be done decently and in order. Okay, now let's talk about how this can apply to us in our context. First off, order. Order does not mean dead. Order does not mean boring. Okay, they do not mean these things. And I think I, I know at least members of our church, I know a lot of us or the majority of us, I would say, come from backgrounds where order was emphasized a lot. And maybe at the cost of the spontaneous work of the Spirit, when you think about that spectrum. Okay, so what does this mean for us? Well, if you'll notice, if you've been here any length of time, we have order in our services. And we do that intentionally. We have a call to worship. We have a confession and an assurance of pardon time. We have a sermon. We have communion. We have a benediction. And we do those things every single week. That is us saying, this is what... We see in the scriptures, this is what's going to put most of the focus on Jesus and the gospel, and those things aren't going to change. Maybe once or twice a year when there's a special service. We always have those things. That is our attempt at that order piece. Now, here's where I want us to kind of press, I want to press us into some growth areas, and maybe this causes some discomfort. Number one, I want us to come prepared to use our gifts. I mentioned that earlier. I won't Say it again, but again, we all need to come. If you're a follower of Jesus and have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you need to be asking, what am I gifted at, and how can I benefit the body? And let's talk. Let's wrestle through that. Let's, let's, if you, it usually helps to process with somebody about that. Process with a friend. Process with your missional community leader. Process with uh, myself or one of the other elders, right? Um, let's talk about this because that is really, really important. Coming prepared to use your gifts. And maybe you do have the gift of prophecy, and we need to talk about that. And we need to like wrestle through that and like, hey, what does that look like? Let's, 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 let's put you in some environments where we can really see if God has gifted you in that way. Second thing, um, I'll just say that I, to be able to allow to take what the Spirit's doing on the inside of us and express it more on the outside of us, okay? Being a more expressive church body, right? The Spirit is doing work on the inside of us. We know that. He's bringing fruit. He's bringing things up. And then we need to allow those things to overflow in the area of worship, okay? This can be raising your hands when you feel a little bit uncomfortable to raise your hands. It's okay to raise your hands. Maybe you're not much of a singer. Sing a little bit louder or just sing it all. Maybe your first step. Or maybe you need to kneel. 
Not every, not every, we're not expecting you all the time to feel like coming in here and raising your hands and like kind of faking it, right? No, if you need to like get on your knees and mourn and cry because your week's been awful and you need God to intervene, get on your knees and let's pray and ask God to meet you there. Okay, whatever it is allowing what is happening on the inside to overflow to the outside and, and, and being more of an embodied people, right? We're not... The Platonists thought that the body was evil, the soul and the spirit were good. We don't believe that. We are embodied. The, our physical bodies are good, right? We, we, the spirit dwells inside of our bodies. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are good. And we need to treat our bodies like that. So let's be more expressive in how we go about our faith. Again, for a lot of us, that's a, that's a little bit uncomfortable. But again, this isn't a race. We're going to move slowly in those spaces together. Okay, I want to remind us now of, the, of kind of the purpose of the, uh, what Paul's saying in this passage. When things are done in order in a gathering, the gifts can be used appropriately. We've seen that. The body would be built up, and the gospel clearly seen. So I want to end with this, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Now, it's interesting that Paul goes, there weren't chapters. I mean, if you didn't know this is important, there weren't. Paul didn't put chapters when he wrote this letter, okay? There weren't chapters in the original manuscripts. It was one free-flowing letter like you would write to a friend, okay? Later on, the chapters were added with people trying to figure out, hey, where's the natural break? And that was a lot of just human figuring, figuring this out, looking at some punctuation. But again, this is coming straight out of this conversation for the last four chapters on spiritual gifts in worship. Well, let's hear this. So he says, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here's a, a, a summary of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Okay? You see the, one of the most important things you can see here are the three tenses of the gospel in verses 1 and 2. He preached the gospel. It says, which you received, past tense, received it. It changed you. You became a Christian. Uh, second, in which you stand. There's a present. right? You stand in the gospel. And there's a future oriented to it where he says, and by which you are being saved. Right? It's a participle. It means something that's happened in the present, but the action continues indefinitely into the future. We are being saved. So the gospel isn't just something that you believe one time in your past. Uh, you check it off. You've got fire insurance. You're going to heaven, not going to hell. Now you're good. And now it's just like figuring out how to live your best life. Now, that is not the, that is not the gospel. That is a truncation of the gospel. That is not the biblical gospel. You never forget the gospel. It is the thing in which we stand. This is the point of the passage. It's the thing in which we stand. And it's the thing that causes us to look more like Jesus as time goes on. So everything Paul talks about with the gifts is all for this reason. So Jesus can be magnified. The focus can be on Jesus and God may receive glory. So we get the gifts. They build up the body. By building up the body, the gospel is more clearly seen. The gospel is, is, is emphasized more. And then, and then Jesus is made much of. And you know what that does? It causes us to want to use our gifts more and build up the body more. And it's this cycle that goes on and on and on. So it doesn't stop with the gifts. It doesn't. The gifts are a pointer to the gospel. And one of the problems with the Corinthians was that they loved the gifts more than the giver. 
They got focused so much on the gifts. They got focused so much on the power of the Spirit, and they forgot what the purpose of the gifts were for. That's to build up the church, magnify Jesus, and see God get glory. This is the purpose of the gifts. They don't terminate on themselves. This is why they got rebuked. So my prayer for us is to use our gifts, to know our gifts, to be bold in how we use our gifts, but never take our eyes off Jesus. He's the purpose that we use the gifts for. He's the reason. He's the motivation. He's the, he's the source. He's the end goal in everything is to use our gifts so Jesus will be made much of. And that is really good news. So hopefully that motivates you to want to use your gifts, right? That motivates you to want to come to church and figure out what's my role to play? Where's my spot on the team? Go, go and ask your missional community leader, how can I help? What do you see in me that I can contribute to making this missional community healthier, accomplishing the purpose of this missional community, okay? Again, let's use our gifts. Let's be aware of our gifts so that we can build each other up so Jesus will be made much of. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Um, I'm thankful for your gifts. I'm thankful that um, after you save us, you don't leave us, you give us the Holy Spirit. And the things you call us to do, like using our gifts, you um, give us the thing that empowers us to be able to use our gifts, and that's the Spirit. The, the things you call us to do, the, the, the places where we need to be obedient, the places where we need to um, walk in that causes us maybe some discomfort. You give us the Spirit to be able to walk into those things, walk into those places with confidence and with boldness. The gospel is not something we just put, we, we, we believe once, uh, we put on the shelf, and now we just try really, really hard to be good people. That is not the gospel, and that leads to, to misery. I pray we would not be trapped by that, that we would not just look to find our best life now, that we would continue to focus on Jesus and be empowered by his spirit and ask, Jesus, what would you have me do? What would you have me believe? What sin would you have me fight what sin do i need to repent of so not so we can just repent of sin but so we can love you more so we can know you more so we can understand you more and be able to walk in your way so help us help us spirit do that it's in jesus name we pray amen